Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. Oh, Bishop, man, what a joy it is for us to be with you. Um, we met at a meeting in Springfield first, then we sat on a plane, and um, I fell in love with your pastor, but I didn't know he was a big shot, you know, because <laughs> he talked to me like I was just uh, a normal guy, right? And uh, isn't that just who he is? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Then he came and did a leadership retreat, and our leaders are a bunch of ex-drug addicts and prostitutes. I'm telling the truth. It's, the, it's who we are. And um, golly, he just spoke to our hearts and asked them to come to a Sunday, and I think now he comes and preaches for us every Sunday just so he knows how good he has it here. So <laughs> it's really amazing. It's, it's, it's just humbling to be your friend, and thank you so much. My wife and I, hallelujah, give the Lord praise, amen. <laughs> 25 years ago, my wife and I bought an abandoned house in South Minneapolis. We had crack houses behind us. We had bootleggers next door. It was a pastor's paradise, you know what I'm saying? I mean, where else would you want to be? We bought this house, the windows were broken, we started fixing it up, and and just believing that God would do something amazing. We didn't know what amazing looked like, but we just felt like God wanted to make a difference in the most dangerous neighborhood in Minneapolis. One day we were taking a break uh, from doing some of the painting. We were almost done with the house, and we're in the backyard and uh, eating some lunch and just kind of enjoying our neighborhood. You know, man, we'd have, we'd, there'd be fights and shootings and right. And uh, my neighbor, the bootlegger, comes out for the first time, and, and he says, hey, I want to introduce myself. He goes, my name's Butch, and I want you to know that we've been living here for 30 years, and I want you to know that we sell liquor out of our house. And by the way, we keep the neighborhood safe, right? I, he said, if you're good, I'll watch over you, watch over your wife, watch over my son. He was just born. Watch over your house. Make sure everything is good, right? Well, I knew what he was doing, so um, I was scared. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to be a tough inner city church planner, but 
I go, I'm Pastor Chris, and this is Pastor Monica, and we're going to start a church in this house. And he goes like this. He goes, there goes the neighborhood. (laughs) True story, by the way. True story. And you know what? We started doing outreach and bringing drug addicts, prostitutes, people in our home, loving on them, having worship, doing discipleship. And our neighborhood did change. Now, it didn't change in a day, and it didn't change in a week. But before we knew it, the bootleggers stopped bootlegging and got a job at the Super America. Amen? Before we knew it, the crack house behind us shut down. And the other crack house in the alley, we ended up buying it and opening a drug program there. You know what? God began to work in our neighborhood. Today, 25 years later, we've got a place in the neighborhood. And you know what? The religious people call us the crack church. And they mean it as a put down, right? But to us, it's a medal of honor that we're the recovery church where people who are broken and hurting find their way. You see, all we do is go after the addicted and the broken, the abused, the violent. Last Thursday night during our midweek service in the back of the church while we were finishing up, um, Monica was teaching a discipleship program. I was in the service with those who've been through it. And all of a sudden, a fight broke out in the middle of, of our service while I'm talking, right? And of course, our bouncers slash ushers took care of it. I see you got a few of those around here too, bro. I see it, man. If something goes down, I'm finding you with the badge, all right? Because I don't got nothing on me. When that, no, one loves it, no one likes it when that happens, but when it does, I am reminded that the right people were in the building that day. That the right people were in the room. You see, if people don't hear the word of God, their life will never change. If they don't have a chance to walk through that back door, their life will never change. If we try to fix them before before they even have a chance to know what it needs to be fixed, their life will never change. We moved out of our house as we outgrew the space. We had 100 people packed in our living room, bedroom, dining room, and down to our basement. We had no privacy. The porn theater four blocks away, you had just shut down, and we go, perfect. We moved into a porn theater, which stopped porning or whatever they do, right? But it became a place where people who were drunk, high, messed up, doesn't matter, they could come in and they can be loved on and encouraged and hear the word of God. That's what God can do. Before I go on, I just want to say that after the service on the back table, we've got some literature. Um, we got some, some free things up there and some coffee for sale. And we use, sell that to help support a little job training program that we have. But before my wife comes up, I'd like to show you a video so you can hear some of the stories of the lives who've been touched in our ministry. Amen. 
Sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes life throws us a curveball that we've never expected. I had an Iranian father and a German mother, so we didn't serve any God in our house. And that was for world peace. But um, I had a great father. My father was an awesome father. He took us places. He took us camping. He, he went way out of his way. But when I turned eight years old, my father got cancer. And, um, and he still took us places. And, and I remember standing in front of Walgreens waiting for a prescription. I don't know what. I'm sure it was morphine because tears are rolling down his eyes, yet he's trying to put on a good smile and, and pretend to me like nothing's wrong. And I know something's wrong, but I, what I don't know is that he's dying because they didn't tell me. But I knew something was different because my dad began to tell me all these things he wanted me to know, things like the birds and the bees, and I'm like, I was still thinking they had cooties at that age, and I didn't know why my dad is trying to tell me about these things. He would put me on his feet and kind of spin me around, and I believe that was because he knew he would never be at my first dance. He knew he would never walk me down the aisle. He knew that he would not be there, but I didn't. One day I went to visit him. He was in and out of the hospital, and I used to tell him, Dad, I'm going to figure out, I'm going to be a doctor because I'm going to figure out what's wrong with you. These stupid doctors don't know what they're doing. And he would tell me, he was a chemist, a doctor of chemistry, and he told me he invented a machine, right, that all you need is the person's picture, and then there's this diamond, and then there's this laser light that goes through the diamond and hits the picture, and poof, you're healed. I was young, okay? But that's how my dad was. He, he, he was always trying to encourage me, always trying to lift me up. And one time when I went to visit him at the hospital, like I always did, but this day everybody was in the room. Aunts, uncles, my mom hadn't been home for a while. She looked worse than he did. And I started to cry. Because I, I just knew something's really wrong here. This is something's wrong here. And the nurse grabbed me by my arm and said, you need to come out of there. And, 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 and I'm screaming and I'm holding on to my dad's bed. He was semi-conscious and I'm screaming, dad, dad, help me, help me. Let me stay. But he couldn't help me. She pulled me out of the room and I said, all right, I'll come back tomorrow. Four in the morning, the phone rings. My grandma got it before I did. There were no words exchanged. Her head just went down with the phone. And I knew my father died. And that day, I felt hatred like I never felt it before. I hated that nurse for depriving me of my last minutes with my dad. And where there was a young heart, it turned into a bitter heart. And we all know that bitterness, is, it, it rots your soul. 
And I went from being a little girl into a 15-year drug addiction on heroin and cocaine. And every day I said the same thing. I said, today is my last day. I'm not going to use tomorrow. I said that for 15 years. Life cannot be fair. Some people suggest that God is as perplexed as we are. But I don't buy that because those of us who know God, we know he's almighty. We know he's supreme. We know he's high and lifted up. We know he's omniscient. We know he's omnipotent. Such reasoning is unacceptable to me because I know God is still in control. He still holds the sun and he brings up the moon. Everything is as it should be. But that is a stumbling block for a lot of people. Because we don't like to suffer. And yet suffering is a as basic part of life as breathing is. It molds us into who we need to be. That big question of life and why things happen the way they do, it comes in lots of shapes and sizes. It comes in what looks like fear. It comes in regret. It comes in hunger when your stomach is so hungry and you don't know where your next meal is coming from. And we look at these hungry children over in Africa and we wonder, what's happening? War. My mom has a hard time to serve God because she went through World War II and was in concentration camps that were being used for refugee camps. Loneliness. Loneliness can make people question, why God? Why? Why am I alone? Rejection. Disappointment. Ridicule. Ungrateful children. You pour in, you pour in, you pour in, you pour in. And then what? We serve God. There's another person who we could say life was not fair for. And his name was Mephi Boshit. And I'm not cussing. <laughs> but every time I say it on my computer, it cusses. <laughs> And the story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 4. He was the grandchild of King Saul, the only surviving family member. And he lived in a place called Lodabar, a desolate place, a place where nothing grows, a place where, where, where no matter what you do, the ground is so bad that nothing can grow. And I don't know why anybody lives there. There are no prison walls keeping them in there. They could leave anytime they want, but they don't. Now this grandchild of King Saul lived in probably one of the worst huts that they had. 
Why did he live like that? Why did he stay there? It reminds me of the Robert Taylor projects in Chicago when we started ministering there. I used to think that this one girl had a problem. She came from that area that I realized soon enough that it was me who had the problem. I had no idea that people were made to live like this. Desolate. Nothing grew. Gangs everywhere. You get frisk going in, you get frisk going out. The police pat you down and so do the gangs. You can't win or lose there. One of my, uh, we had a new staff come and he got pulled over by the police. Got patted down. He went to do visitation. The gangs patted him down. That was his first day. <laughs> He's learning quick. <laughs> but Mephi Bochet lived in this Lodabar, believing that David would kill him. Believing that this is why he has to stay there. He was as sure as anything that something terrible will happen to him. He was crippled. I mean, there were so many things going on for him. His nurse dropped him when they were running away during when the killing was happening. And he was the only one that survived, but he was lame in both legs. And he grew up with people making fun of him and and he lived with intense fear and thinking that they will come to kill him. We need to stop reacting to our circumstance, but respond every circumstance with faith. You see, he didn't believe. He had no idea what was really going on. Did, did King David say, I'm going to kill you? No. But his mind told him he's going to kill him. And if your mind's saying it, it's just real. It doesn't have to be true. It's real. And that's what I find with the people we reach out to. They live with a lot of lies. They live with a lot of fear. When I... Sometimes I would preach and I would look at some of the people and I would think, I don't know if they hear me. Do they hear me? I'm trying to tell you that Jesus can set you free. And just like Moses said to God, they can't hear me. And he said, because of this spare of spirit, because of years of cruelty and bondage, you know what? These people that I reach out to suffered years of cruelty and bondage, some of it real and a lot of it not real because they haven't came out of that area. They haven't got out of Lodabar to know the world was changing. And there wasn't a group of people trying to murder them and kill them. There was one girl that came out of there. Her name was Trish and there was a mass exodus. Most of my church in Minneapolis comes out of the Robert Taylor projects because there was a mass exodus out of there. And they ended up in Minneapolis and they ended up in my church. 
So I had them in Chicago and I had them in Minneapolis. And this one girl would come. I, I, I ran into her at a shelter. I ran into her. I was on my motorcycle and I pulled up to the shelter and I had a baseball cap, jeans on. And, and she looked at me up and down, you know, just kind of sucking her teeth and going, who are you? And I said, I'm a pastor. And she's like, right, right, like Jim Jones. Like, this girl was something. And I said, no, not like Jim Jones, but I want to invite you to my church. She's like, are you kidding me? I have seven kids. You don't want me in your church. And I'm saying, yes, I do. Please let me come and pick you up. Let's go to church. She came and her seven kids, and, and no one ever sat with me in the front, but she did. She sat right next to me, and she stared at me so hard. She was right here. I could feel her breath on my cheek. She thought I was some kind of freak because she came out of Robert Taylor and there ain't no white little blonde that's going to invite you to church with her and bring your seven kids. So she studied me because she was in disbelief. You see, King David came for him, not to kill him, but to stay true to a promise he made to his father that he would give him back the land and he would give him his inheritance. And all this time, Lodabar's over there in this desolate place, fearing for his life. And when he saw them coming, he's thinking, oh my God, here it is, this is it. As he saw them approaching. And he just went with them, but he thought he was going to his death. He just quietly went. Trish caused me to worship God like I never worshiped God in my life. Because she was right there and I just worshiped. Six months into this, she says, Pastor, I think you're real. And she came high every time. I think that's why she was right here. And she said, I want to do this. Can you help me? It's first day on my job, I was going to go get her check before she got it, right? This was our master plan, but I heard this racket going on when I was, I'm driving by a currency exchange, and I look real quick, and it's her and her friends. They're going to try to crack that check before I get it. So I just whip a U, pull up in front, throw the door open. Her friends saw me first. They go, oh, my gosh, is that 5-0? What is that? What is that? And then Trish turns around. She goes, worse. It's my pastor. And I didn't know what to do. I wasn't trained this in Bible college. I just looked like, get in the car. And she did. She got in the car. And I'm happy to say that was 20-something years ago. She's been clean and sober. And the little baby that was crawling on the floor and her children that were so messed up, Today, that one went through a, 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 a what Bible college? Morehouse, yeah. He just graduated Morehouse. He's an accomplished violinist. His mom is working on her master's degree. Here's a woman that, 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 that had nothing going for her, and it took her time to get it together. But you know what? God has time, do we?
why don't people change if God is powerful, if he has peace, if he gives position, if it's privilege and a promise harvest, why don't we change? Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, walk by faith, not by sight. We just keep looking at everything around us and we lose our faith. One reason, fear. Trish was filled with fear. I went to get her first apartment with her and she did everything to not cancel that appointment, but I made her go. She said, I don't have a babysitter, let's bring them with. You know, she just, excuse, excuse, excuse. And when we got there, she walked in the door and it was a white landlord and she looked at him and I looked at her and I said, oh no, what's she gonna say? And she goes, I know you're not gonna give me this apartment. I know it. And, he, and I just grabbed her by the mouth and I backed her out of the room and I said, I'll take over from here. And he rented her the house that, it, that, she, that we looked at. But she was setting herself up for failure. She was sure what this man was going to do, but she really didn't know. She was thinking from her desolate place, her area of fear, that people are not there to help her but to hurt her. Another one is lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I realized early on if I was going to reach out to this group that I had got to get busy. Because when they got saved, education didn't come with it. When they got saved, social skills didn't come with it. When they got saved, uh, uh, employment training didn't come with it. And so I came to realize that if they're my brothers and sisters in the Lord, and if the word of God will cause you to prosper, I better do something. So we began to work with lives, GED, life skills training. Uh, tutoring for the kids so they're not last in school. No child left behind. All of them were left behind. All of them. But God. But God. People criticize them and, 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 and talk about them being on welfare all these years. But did they create it? Did they design it? They didn't design it. They were the victims of it. Three, four generations later, you got a mess. You got people that cease to dream. You see, when you take purpose away from people, other than to get a check, something dies inside. You know, you, you, it says that if you don't work, you don't eat. But they didn't work and they ate. And their lives slowly degraded. They needed help. They needed training. They helped me to realize things I never realized. They helped me to see a way of life that I just didn't know existed. They broke my heart.
John 12, 43 says we love the praises of man more than we love the praise of God. And as a result, we run from persecution or criticism. You know, they don't know how to have a job. I do job training, and, and they don't know. You got to call in if you're going to be late. Don't know it. They don't know that if you're going to miss, let somebody know. Didn't know it. They didn't know that your boss gets to tell you what to do. They didn't know it. They're like, girl, you better stop. I ain't, don't tell me what to do. And I'm like, wait a minute. Right now, I'm the boss. My hope is you're going to get raised up and you'll become the boss one day. Lack of knowledge. Selling out to their circumstances. I sold out to my circumstance. I lived a life of, uh, of drug addiction and, 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 and just a horrible existence because I was locked in. I was trapped in Lodabar. Nobody wants to be there. People say things like this, I am what I am. I can never be more than what I am right now. These are the lies of the enemy. I cannot change. I'm hopeless. I can't help myself. It's always been like this. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. We take the crumbs because we're broken. Sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes life is hard and we begin to doubt God. The psalmist in Psalm 42.10 said, why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. Ask him. Don't be afraid uh, to ask God a question. Don't think you have to approach him in some sort of way. God says, ask me. And I know that he will not be disappointed. He will not be discouraged. He's got his big boy pants on today. He can handle it. He can take what we're going to dish out. Our questions, why, Lord, help me. I was invited to a gang party once, but not really. They wanted to borrow my tables. And it was in Chicago at the end of our street. It was a party that happened every year. There were hundreds of gangbangers on the street. And, uh, and I wanted to go. So I said, yeah, you can have my tables, but I go too. And they, he looked at me and said, okay, whatever. So we did outreaches on, by the projects, and it was about 11 at night, and it was raining, and it was hard, 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 but we did it in the rain anyway. And this little midget gang got saved because everyone else left because they were terrorizing them. And I'm praying, God, get rid of the midget gang. What did he do? He got rid of everyone else and left them. They all got saved in the end. And they were all apologizing. But now we're putting our equipment away, and I forgot about the, the party at the end of the block. And the guy came back, and he said, my DJ's not coming because of the rain. Can we use your equipment? And I'm like, hmm. 
okay, but my rappers come with. <laughs> he goes, I don't care. And so I gathered up a team and Chris looked at me and I'm like, do you want to go to the after party? <laughs> and he's thinking, oh, if we have enough people to haul all this and set it up, okay, I'll do it. And so as soon as we stepped ground, I realized I don't fit here at all. I couldn't act cool enough. I couldn't dip. I couldn't do nothing to fit in with this crowd, okay? They were all sagging down to here, and they did not like us. As soon as they saw me, they started screaming and cussing and saying, this isn't about you. So we just kept steadily doing what we're doing, listening. And then individual young guys would come up and say, what are you doing here? If you say one word on that mic, I'm going to shoot you. And, I, and my team heard it. And uh, so they came to me and said, Pastor, did God tell you to come here? And I said, are you asking me if we're going to get out of here alive? <laughs> they said, yeah. <laughs> are we? And I said, I don't know. Just like a missionary overseas, I don't know. Just like Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? They're looking at me going, she's crazy, let's go. Okay, <laughs> they weren't buying any of it. But I told them they could leave because this is something you can't have somebody stay that doesn't want to stay. I asked the rappers, you don't have to rap. And they said, no, pastor, we were asking God for a real inner city situation. I think we got one. And I'm not for sure. And as soon as the music started, there was a SWAT team surrounding the place. And they came out in riot gear and big guns. And I'm thinking, I'm underdressed for this event. And the guy goes, whose stuff is this? It's one in the morning, all right? And this sound is cranking. And I'm like, out of everybody there, okay, the little white girl raises her hand and says, it's mine. And I walk to him and I say, it's too loud, right? I'll, I can turn it down. He, he goes, who are you? I said, he said, who are you to these people? I said, nothing, nothing, nothing yet. I want to be their pastor. His eyes got so big and I'm sure he was dealing, I'm sure he thought he was dealing with a, a crazy one. He's like, okay, I don't know what he was muttering. But I said, do you want me to turn it down? He goes, don't you realize people get killed here every year? And I said, I realize it. And he, I said, do you want me to turn it down? And I started to walk away. He goes, no, I want you to shut it off. And I said, okay, I know not to argue with this. So I started walking to shut it off. He goes, psst, 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 come back here. And now I realize this is my answer to prayer. He goes, you can't just shut it off. And I'm like, oh, he, what do I do then? He goes, you ease your way out of this. And I realized he was afraid. He thought they wanted me there, and he thought they were going to retaliate, and there was going to be a war that night. And I'm not going to tell him different. So I'm like, I see, how do I ease my way out of this? He said, okay, now he's in charge. 
All right. You let those rappers rap again, one song, then you do what you do. What do you do? And I'm saying, I speak. He goes, all right, you can do a little speech. And I'm like, how little is little? But I just want to get it straight. I want to get the rules straight, right? He goes, five minutes. I go, I can't do it. I can't do it in five. And we just went back and forth, back and forth. And I took about 20. And, and the night ended with everybody. They helped draw everyone from down the block around because SWAT's here. What's happening, right? So I'm preaching to everyone, I don't know, two, three, four hundred, I don't know how many were there. And the SWAT team. And my team came back. They felt guilty. <laughs> we did an illustrated sermon. I never spoke so fast in my life. I was trying to get through it. Got to the altar. And dozens and dozens of these guys and their girlfriends came weeping to the altar. Some of them saying, we're so sorry, so sorry, because they were threatening my life. And, they, and they're saying, I'm so sorry. We didn't know you would say that. And I'm saying, say what? They go, no, we didn't think you would say that. And I'm saying, tell me what? What did I say? And they said, that God loves us. What they expected from me was judgment. What they expected was my finger to be pointing. And they got touched so much that they gave their lives to the Lord. You know, when I was out there in my 15th year and my drug dealer was next to a Puerto Rican Pentecostal church and I just didn't know what they're doing in there. You see, I understand what those guys were saying because I didn't get it at all. I hear them shouting and shouting, hallelujah, and I don't know what they're saying. And I thought one thing, I want to be like them. What I saw, I think, was freedom. And I was so bound up. I was so trapped in my own mind. And then I got saved. And they didn't want me because I couldn't change fast enough. And then I realized when I went to Bible school, I realized that I didn't want to be like the church at all. I remembered saying that. I want to be like Jesus. I want to love God with all my heart, all my strength, and everything that's in me, and love others as I love myself. Amen. Amen. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.